Welcome and thank you for pressing play. This is Dessert with D because who doesn't love a delicious dessert that makes you want to come back for more? And who doesn't love a juicy, engaging, insightful conversation that brings wellness to your life that just makes you want to come back for more? My name is Denise Chavez, and on Dessert with D, we are talking everything wellness, and we will leave no topic off the table. Each week, you will hear real-life stories, mind, body, and spiritual transformations from people who have turned painful, challenging times into their life's purpose. I will bring you insightful guests that will share wellness life hacks and tools that you can immediately put to work to enrich your life. Thank you for being my guest on Dessert with D. Identity, the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Identity is a wellness topic, and uh, it's a wellness topic that takes many forms. And it's a topic that takes many forms over a lifetime. And today, my guest is uh, Saya Roki. And in honor of uh, 2022 Pride Month. I've asked Saya to be a, a guest because she represents um, such courage, such fortitude, love of what it takes to really dig deep and find true identity and true self-love. So Saya, thank you for being my guest today. Um, thank you for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> so Saya, um, identity and wellness. I couldn't think of a better person to ask to come on. And I'd like to talk to you about um, when your gender identity started. How, how did you define yourself growing up? What was your life like growing up? Sure. Um, thanks for asking that. So uh, gender identity, of course, growing up, you really don't have a specific identity. You only have what you uh, are attracted to as a child. I was attracted to um, things that were associated with boys, whether it's clothing, toys, um, sports, activities like that. I was attracted to, if we're going to do male-female roles, I was attracted to the male side of everything. I played football. I hung out with my brother. All my friends were boys. We rode bicycles, and I did BMX, and that kind of lifestyle, whereas I have a fraternal twin and she wore the dittos and played with Barbies and, and cheerleading and things like that. So we were complete opposite. And I was considered, as back then, growing up in the 70s, I was considered a tomboy. I never wore a dress. I would wear, we had shoes back then called wallabies that were a male-dominated type of a shoe. And that's the shoe that I um, preferred to wear, um, corduroy cords with big belts. I mean, that was my style. Um, even things like um, I would pee standing up um, to see what that was like. And so I was always kind of, we could say, flirting the boundary of the male-female gender role. I was always flirting with the male side and, and I felt comfortable there. Great. Where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in West Covina, California. I was born in uh, Heinola, Finland, 
came here to the United States in 1971 when I was six years old to um, a family. The mother was Finnish. The father was um, American. They had a son who was four. Um, at the four, I'm sorry, uh, he was four years older. So he was 10 when my twin sister and I arrived to this country at the age of six. So he became kind of my role model. And Sam, did you lose your, did you lose your parents? Did you, did they? Pass? So my, my adopted parents have since passed away. Yes. My birth parents, um, I recently discovered them through 23andMe about four or five years ago. Um, so my birth father passed away um, of pancreatic cancer. He was an alcoholic and he died young. He had a slew of affairs. He was a truck driver in Finland, and I'm a product of an affair. And so that, our, my, our biological mother, um, she could not keep us. Um, so she gave us to the Lutheran Church. And then from there, um, a series of events I have no idea, recollection, or memory of um, led me to the United States in 1971, six years later. So, okay. So you, wow. So you grew up, uh, you and your sister, mm -hmm. and did you have any other siblings? Just no, just their their son Mark, who was four years older. So the three of us were the siblings. Yeah. Okay, and so so growing up, you had this trying on both identities, so to speak. Um, yeah, feeling more comfortable in a in a in a more masculine role in the boy side, yeah, versus a feminine yeah. in the boy side. Yeah, okay, and and then how did that play out as a, as a teenager? It never. What, what did your teenager formidable years look like? Well, um, thank God, punk rock was very alive and well in in my formidable teenage years. So I um, really gravitated toward the punk scene and in that space, I got to be whoever I was, whoever I wanted to be. And, and I was accepted by that community. And that became my first introduction to being able to be who I am, even though I didn't understand who I was. But I, but I didn't have to conform to who I was not. And that's society's role of what a little girl should be, or what a young lady should be. I couldn't conform to that. And so getting into this, this this space where it's all just punk rockers. It was more about a rebellious um, space full of angst. Um, and, and so that my focus got to be on all of that. And, and so my internal angst, my internal misgivings, my internal confusion never, ever got addressed. It, there was no space for that to happen yet. Yet. So as you're going through this punk rock phase, and you're exploring, I would imagine, you're exploring your sexuality mm -hmm. as well. Also, tr you know, trying on both genders, you know, exploring and, and you know, kind of being on that, 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 that center point, perhaps. Mm -hmm. How did that play out? Um, the fun thing about the, the, the punk rock community is that the queer community is very, very accepted. We, um, being eccentric, if you were a male and you wore a dress, you were, um, celebrated. Um, a lot of, a lot of my, um, 
a lot of the musicians would come out on stage. It was a shock, almost like a shock factor. I'm a, I'm a male with a beard. I'm going to come out wearing a dress. And it was always a way of rebelling against the social norms that we had to conform to in order to get a paycheck, graduate school, and make it in the way that the American system is expecting us to be. And so this, this punk rock space um, allowed me to explore my sexual identity as well. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of my very first sexual encounter was being raped at 14 years old by a um, somebody who just, I was a runaway and somebody just picked me up and uh, uh, two guys and they, they had their way with me. I don't remember much of it because the brain, like you said, only gives us, you know, as much as we can handle. And um, so I don't remember much of it. I just know it happened. And I, I never wanted to talk about it because when I started identifying that I had feelings for other women, um, which by the way, came in the form of Julie from Love Boat when I was growing up, um, uh, you know, the captain and Tennille, I, I was into these, the, the female versions of, um, of Hollywood, I guess you would say is what I was, I was attracted more to that, whether it's female energy or, or looks, but I was attracted more to the female, um, side. Um, and so when I got into this, this punk rock scene and I was able to be who I was, I was able to explore with other, um, young um girls i mean we were 14 15 16 years old and i got into my first relationship um with her name with a girl and uh it, it back then it was now we're in the 80s you didn't talk about it the aids epidemic was was pretty rampant so a lot of that was kept very quiet you never said that you dated a, a woman or a girl or female if you were the same sex, you had to give a fake name. You used they, them pronouns to identify your partner. So you didn't say she. So that's the way I developed into this um, community, the LGBTQIA plus community was being very secretive and quiet about it. Yeah. So say, I, I, I've got to say, um, there are so many levels to your, to your wellness journey. Um, and uh, I'm really trying to pick and choose what we really talk about. I, obviously, today's topic is focused around identity. Um, and I know because we know one another, um, part of your story is um, being a runaway, being on the streets and um, sobriety and um, education, how you reeducated. So I'd like to, I don't know how exactly we can do this, but Give the audience an ident just a, a snapshot of how you progress through your teenage years, um, through education and re-educating yourself. And what what did that what did your life look like? Because we have a lot to 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 cover on the back end. It's just so wonderful how you, your your journey. Um, how do we give uh, the audience an idea of of your uh, how you reinvented yourself. Okay. Yeah. So I let, I left home at in between 13 and 14 years old. Um, 
so of course, naturally, I could not go, no longer go to school. It was in my second semester of ninth grade. Uh, so I stopped going to school. And um, within about, I don't know, six or eight months, I, I was living with a, a former classmate. I was living with her and her mother and, and um, her brother. And the mother said, you have to go back to school. You can't, you can't just exist like this. So you're going to have to get your family to sign over custody so I can register you in school. And so, so my father gave, turned custody over to this, to this woman and I became part of their family, uh, very dysfunctional, but um, I registered into a continuation school. And so I was probably maybe 15 at this time and I registered to into continuation school. Um, and by this time I'm living in Baldwin Park, very big, heavy gang um, area. So Eastside had to go to school at this hour. Westside went to school at that hour. They had to keep them separated. And I ended up um, getting the morning class, the morning section. And um, I would um, start my day by smoking a joint and end my day by drinking a beer. And it was only a four hour school day. And, um, but again, I was in this, this um, scene, this punk rock scene, and those are the kids I hung around with. And needless to say, that kind of lifestyle of drinking and, um, and smoking pot on a daily basis does not lend itself to being a good scholar or a good student. I was also in a very dysfunctional home. Um, I just left one dysfunction for another, right? There I am. I took me with me. And uh, so I, I never went to school. And in so I stopped going to continuation school. And when I was um, 21 years old, um, that was my first introduction into alcohol into the program. Um, I had to get sober. And that was my first introduction was in 1991. And in that space, I went back and got my GED. So so my first bout of sobriety, which was about three years of sobriety from 91 to 94, I ended up getting my GED. Um, and that was the best I could do. And uh, then a series of events, I, I, I relapsed and drank some more. Um, and I came back into the rooms in the year um, 2001. May 21st, 2001, I came back into sobriety and at that time, I started going to community college. And so I continued school from 2000 all the way through to 2013 when, when I graduated with the master's degree in museum studies. And I became a, um, a pre-Columbian art scholar. And I focused on cultures that had been misidentified and um how colonization altered who these people were into this different identity. And that's for a different discussion. I understand that, but I gravitated towards that as my major. And I found out later that I was going through that myself. And, and I, I didn't know how to um, identify at all with it, but I saw it someplace else and I gravitated towards that and, and, and majored in that as my study. Yeah, I, I I was just going to interject that 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 sounds like your whole your life your life progression mm -hmm. that you were also going through that while you were going through that as it pertains to identity were you identifying as gay as lesbian as 
what 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 were you identifying yourself? Sure. So, and and again, as the as the listener, um, as the host, I've done a, a, some background to um, educate myself on how to even use the language in today's new vernacular um, and ha- how it pertains to identity and sexuality. Um, so, how did you? How were you identifying during that time? So. After I left, you know, in the punk rock scene, and I started getting more into education and being a student and, um, and being sober and all of that, I was in a relationship and I still am to this day, we've been married for 21 years, we've been together for 21 years, married since 2013. But um, I never identified as a lesbian. So we have the LGBTQIA plus those, those are our alphabets. And we, we can find ourselves in that alphabet. And so I always identified more with the Q, which is queer. So, so for the listener, can we go through that alphabet? So there's les- lesbian, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, um, asexual, asexual, and then plus is for... Um, you know, p- other people no. that, that identify in ways that aren't your typical cis gender role of being male or being female. So. Sure. And, and we, we had, to, uh, say, and I had a, a discussion earlier and it's part of the evolution uh, the evolution of humanity and the evolution of coming up as we're, as we are introduced to new, um, not new identities, but as society is ready to hear them and people are, are have the courage like yourself to come out again. Um, this is what we'll talk about. You, you come out uh, as, as uh, queer, if you will. And now we'll talk about how you've come out again and how you are evolving into the person you are today. So you, you did a phenomenal job in reeducating yourself. You went to college, you've got a master's degree, you're, um, when I met you, you were a uh, the installation um, director at Long Beach um, Long Beach uh, the, the Long Beach Museum of Art, and um, you were swimmingly going through your life. And then the, the pandemic happened, right? So you you're 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 functioning in the world. How are you feeling as an as an individual, married now, educated? Talk about your life uh, a little bit before pre-pandemic. Sure. Um, so the more I, you know, get educated in my career goals and in my um, my field of study, I also internally never felt comfortable. I never felt. I get the best way to say it, and it's a cliche, but I never felt comfortable in my own skin. And, but I never had the language to identify why, what was that about? What specifically was that about? And what started happening is as we are talking more about transgender, as we are talking more about non-binary, as we are talking more about reassignment surgery, as we're talking more about um, pronouns and, and names and dead names and this kind of information, I am learning more. And what's happening is I'm developing a language that goes beyond LGBTQIA. I'm now in the maybe in the plus realm. I am 
understanding and learning language that I'm able to identify with. So for instance, let me just say that the easy one, I am an alcoholic. I, I cannot take a drink. Okay. One drink leads to the next and eventually leads to a blackout and the who knows what. And then the obsession. Okay. So I know I cannot take a drink. I'm an alcoholic. But before understanding what an alcoholic is and identifying as an alcoholic, I could never put the drink down because I didn't know that it's that first drink that leads to the second one and the third one and so on. So once I learned the language from that, then I realized, aha, the way I cannot take that second drink is if I don't take that first drink. I can do that. And so then I learned ways to not do that. When it comes to identity, something completely different because I wasn't, I wasn't drinking at six years old, but I certainly was feeling these feelings at six years old, but I didn't understand what those feelings were. I wanted to dress like a boy. I wanted to pee standing up. I didn't want to play with Barbies. I didn't um, want to listen to cheerleading. I'd rather watch the football game. I knew that about myself but I didn't have the language um, that made that okay because society kept telling me, you're a tomboy, you're different, you should be wearing a dress to the wedding, I don't know why you can't. All of that, I got pushback, right, from, from society. So now, I don't know who I am, it doesn't seem like it's appropriate, and now what do I do? And so, so, so that, that's kind of how that was. Yeah. So that was, um, your, your entire adult life, like before Absolutely. the pandemic. Oh, oh right. Right. That. So, like, so, right. So that was, that's how you my were, entire how, life, you, my entire how were you managing, how, how were you managing that? And something we kind of, we didn't, we didn't even hit, um, that typically that kind of on internal unrest an internal conflict typically leads to bouts of depression mm. and um, suicidal thoughts and suicidal tendencies. Did you experience that growing up? Did you experience that as an adult? D d is that even your part of your picture, part of your story? It is definitely part of my story. And I'll, I'll back up. Um, when I was in sixth grade, I accidentally cut my finger on a piece of glass and it required four stitches. Um, that experience, for some reason, it excited me. And I then started cutting on myself and that became part of who I was. And um, I have scars all over my body. That's why I have so many tattoos because they are covering up those scars. But I have scars all over my body. And one of the places I used to cut was my chest. So I used to cut a lot when I was a kid. So suicide, of course, when you're in the punk rock scene, cutting is normal. Flinging blood is normal. Punching, bruising, it's normal. It's part of the angst. That's what we were doing, right? Our rebellion. But suicide would come in the thoughts when I was alone and I didn't know. I just, when I would want to give up on life because it, it seemed too hard to continue the next day. A lot of what I found out later in my, during the pandemic, which we'll touch on in a bit, what I found out during that time specifically is that all of those suicidal ideations that I had were not ever because I didn't feel 
um, like life was worth living, right? So, so it's not depression. Depression means life is not worth living. So that's never what my, my suicidal ideations were about. My suicidal ideations were about shame and being ashamed mm -hmm. and being embarrassed and feeling humiliated constantly, constantly, constantly. So how can I ever rise above that and, and fit in my skin and be confident in the world? So it always just seemed so easier. Let's just check out. And, and, I, and I had four attempts in the 90s the fourth one being the one that should have killed me and it didn't. And it took about another year after that before I took things seriously and, and tried to make some changes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two things. I want to just go back and just first um, congratulate you on your sobriety. Um, on, I know that that takes, um, it's a, um, it's simple, but it's not easy and it takes work. And as a fellow, um, alcoholic myself and have addiction. I, I celebrate that. And um, about the suicide, I'm happy that you did not go through with that. And I'm also, um, in a way, there's some there's there's a form of, um, I think that the word that comes to is gratitude, like uh, the the idea of being grateful for having the experiences, living through them, and now we're here able to talk about these feelings for someone that may be going through this right now and that we can have this open discussion. So um, you, you, did you have a support system while you were going through that? Or what was your support system? Your, your, your punk group, your, you know, your punk rock um, uh, community? Did you have someone that you could talk to? The, no, I, I never talked to anybody back then. Uh, I didn't start talking about this um, until the last three years um, because I didn't know, I didn't have language for it. That, that's something that um, is very, very important. When you don't have language for a feeling or an expression, then you think it's wrong because nobody else has this thought or this way that they're expressing themselves in the world. So you know, we, with gender expression, we can say you're either feminine or you're masculine or you're someplace in between, right? I was never feminine ever. Do I appreciate femininity? Absolutely. I do. I celebrate it. I love it. And I appreciate it, but I was never feminine in my expression. I was masculine in my expression and I could get away with that in this punk rock world. Okay. Now getting into um, beyond school and into a career, I could, because I'm in the arts, I can, I can accentuate how I dress if, if I'm wearing, um, uh, I, I, I never shop in the, in the women's section. I'd rather shop in the guy's section. I look for shoes in the guy's section. Like that's just kind of where I gravitate. Um, but I would, I could, you know, in, in the museum world, I could, I could dress and express myself how I, how I, as comfortably as I could, as I wanted to. Um, but there was always these two little humps on my chest that, that were getting in the way of everything for me. And I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know, um, oh. until about a year before the pen, two years, two years before the pandemic, I, I started watching somebody yeah, and then um, transition and, and watching this person and being in contact with this person through their process. I thought, Oh my gosh, you're so courageous. I could never do that. 
that's what I would think. I could never do that, but I celebrate you. And, and that person helped start me on this trajectory of, of finding the language of expression. Yeah. Finding the language and the exploration of, of doing the inner mm-hmm. work. Um, and so you refer to your breasts, you have these lumps on your chest <laughs> that, that you refer to. That weighed right? me down. And so. that weighed you down. And you had a feeling of shame through your entire life. Did you ever equate the shame to the breast? No, not, not until about 2000, about the end of 2019. Um, but prior to that, no, I had no idea. I had no idea until okay. I, I kept doing research um, about uh, transgender. And I knew I wasn't transgender because I knew I never wanted to be a boy. I, I, that wasn't part of it at all, but I, um, didn't have the language for who I was. I didn't fit in the transgender role. I didn't fit in the cis female role. I I didn't know where I belonged. So let's, let's get into that now. So we're in the latter part of 2019 and you're, watching someone go through a trans uh, transition Mm -hmm. and what did your life look like at the end of pre-pandemic? So pre-pandemic, again, I, you know, my identity for the last seven years was tied up in the museum and with the art world. And that became my affirmation that I am okay. Um, And prior to that, I mean, after that, so yeah, let, me, uh-huh. let, let me let me pause there for for a minute. We talked about that, and and I I found it rather um, it was powerful how that was your identity. So your work became your identity. Mm-hmm. My work. How, how did how did that look? How did that how did that show up? So it it showed up like like I mentioned earlier. It showed up to me in I, I took them in bite sized quarters um, because I'm also a, a, a teacher community college professor. So, you know, at the end of every semester or at the opening of every successful exhibition, so those are my two worlds, either I'm teaching art or I'm producing art. At the, at the beginning of every successful installation that I got to coordinate and install, and at the end of every successful semester, I would feel complete and whole and worthy. I would feel worthy. I think that's a good term. And then there would come that lull where now I'm back to just me and um, until, the, until the next installation and semester. So those became the, the things that I chased and they made me feel whole and complete and worthy. I would come home and not have to not know how to have a conversation with my wife about anything other than work-related things because I didn't know who I was and I didn't know I had anything and I don't want to say wrong with me because it's not wrong with me I I was unaware I was unaware until I was aware um I think that say I think that um that is something that many people can identify with that and I I know speaking for myself my career uh going through life though the career became who I was that that's that's who I was. I was working for corporate America, or I had a marketing company. That's the identity that I put myself in, and I 
I believe that many people do that with their work, or they identify as a stay-at-home mom, or they identify as a as a, a, a gardener, and that's who they are. And if they if that's taken away, they lose that identity. And what I've observed uh, through the pandemic, the world came to a halt, and we were no longer able to go in and have the busyness in our lives and have the interaction in work and everything was just kind of stopped and it forced us to look in inward and can we go there now sure so um but prior to the pandemic this is important um two things happened in the year 2019 that set up my exploration into my gender identity and that is um I, uh, a friend of mine mentioned that she had breast cancer and my initial thought was how lucky she gets to have a double mastectomy. And I knew that thought wasn't um, correct. It shouldn't be something that shouldn't have been my first thought. And then I almost voiced it to this person and it just stuck with me. It didn't sit right with me, but what it did is it got my wheels to start turning in that direction because I started to question, why did I think of that? What is it about me that wants to have a double mastectomy? What is that? So as I started exploring that, um, I had a friend who who um, works at a radio station and, and something was mentioned at the radio station. And then when I saw him later that day, um, I talked to him about this. And I, and I started saying that something's... So I, I, I can't have my breasts anymore. I started to talk about that to this one individual. Um, so I started looking into how I can, because, you know, a couple of years prior to that, I, I watched a friend completely transition from female to male. I started reaching out to that person and asking, how do I get started? Although I don't want to go at the level and the extreme you did, how do I get started about some of this? And um, so I started, what I was directed to was therapy. I also had a student who I, I was blessed um, to have in my class who was um, a trans male who still had their dead name, which means the name assigned at birth, um, their female assigned name on the roster. And so that bothered me as well. Um, it really, really upset me. So I, I was able to make some changes at the college to get that um, resolved. And, and we now have a system in place for that to address that. And that was just a few years ago. So so there's, there's no language, there's very limited information. And in order for us to find out how we can help ourselves, we have to do a lot of research. A lot of talking to people. You talk about coming out, it's constant. I don't, I'm exploring. I was just exploring. I was exploring what top, and I started hearing the term top surgery. I'm like, what is top surgery? We know, we can tell you what top surgery is, people that have gone through it, but you can't go to a medical doctor and say, I want top surgery. It doesn't work that way. So does it not exist? Does it, does the, is there not an identity not or yet. a medical identity? Well, there's a, there's a, so, there's a medical, I got diagnosed in October of 2019 uh, exploring. I got diagnosed with gender dysphoria. So what that means. And, 
Can you explain what that yeah, means? Yeah, so, so what that means is that, um, is that I was diagnosed where I didn't identify at, in, in the body that I was born with. I didn't identify in this, um, this gender expression at all, nor did I identify with the gender identity of a female woman girl. I didn't identify with any of those categorizations. And so, but I also didn't identify with male, man, or boy. And so I was very, very confused, very, very confused. So yes, there's language for gender dysphoria and, and it's, it's a, it's, it is a, um, it's a defined medical situation, medical, I don't know what the term would be called, but it's, 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 you know, it's a medical term, gender dysphoria. And once you get diagnosed with that from a therapist, um, which took about six sessions, then I was advised. So I started this in October and then I was advised to start looking, start researching what the surgery is like, what the healing is like. Here's a Facebook group. Here's a, here's a support group. And so those are things I started exploring. Now we're in the pandemic and all of that stopped. Mm -hmm. All of it stopped because we're no longer meeting face to face. My therapy stopped. Um, my work stopped. Work stopped. I, I eventually, within a couple of months of the pandemic, completely left um, the museum. So I knew that these opportunities to um, keep reinforcing my identity as a, as a, you know, in the art world was over. Um, and I still had. I'm teaching, but I'm teaching on zoom and it just didn't feel right. And, and I was really, um, one more time finding myself very, very suicidal, very, very, um, uh, just like nothing's worth it. I tried, I gave it that five months of, of therapy, you know, since October, 2019, now we're February, 2020 and, and it's all going to be for nothing. And, um, there was this element of, of, of wanting to give up, um, but I started, and what, I started, well, I started attending that su a support group with, um, okay. right. I started attending a support group. It was on, you know, remote. We met every Thursday evening for an hour and a half. And, um, and through this support group, I started learning the language that I needed to research what I needed to research so that I could understand what top surgery is so I could understand what the healing is like. So I could understand that entire process, because if I'm going to go through with that, I need to know what I'm getting into, you know? Um, so yeah, so I met, I met and a couple of gym mates as well have went through the same process a um, little bit different because both of them are on testosterone. I'm not, but they both went through the same process within a year um, of me. And, um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sounds. Um, it was a very um, packed um, lockdown time of your life that you're. <laughs> yeah, the lockdown. But you were just like I can't even imagine you. 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 You have your your identity is wrapped up in the in the museum. Um, you lose the support with your therapist. Um, you're not really, you're, you're now going in this downward spiral. Um, thank God that you've had the group, right, to, to, to support you. Um, and what I, what I 
what comes out to me is that you were so hungry for the knowledge. You just didn't know how to define it. So you did your own research and, and studied it and, and, um, and found the terms and explored what those terms meant. And through that, you found a, a collective and a community that was going through the same thing. Right. Or very similar. Right. Um, tell me now, and you're married. So what's going on in your relationship? So what was happening in my relationship is, you know, here, I, here I've been with the same woman for 19 years, and uh, she had no idea that this was happening to me because I had no idea what was happening to me. And what, when I say happening, I don't mean that something big was happening in that sense, but it was my own uncovering, discovering, discarding what doesn't work and trying to renegotiate some certain areas to make something to make things better. And that that's what I mean by that. So that's where I was. So I'm renegotiating my gender identity, getting this new language, getting these resources, getting this, um, you know, whether it's a support group where we meet once a week, or, or a Facebook support group, both of those things were true, or gym mates, all of these started happening um, in my life, helping me formulate information that I can then take in conversation to my to my wife and try to talk about these as gently and loving as I could and and also knowing the more I the more I explored investigated and felt support for who I am mm-hmm. from those experiencing what I was experiencing the more I realized there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with this. I am not a freak. Um, And this is what I want to transmit and transfer to my wife in conversation is that there's nothing wrong with me. This isn't something that needs to be fixed or I need to have therapy. See, I was, I was scared to tell my therapist that Mm. I was raped because I thought she would talk me out of having top surgery because she would equate me wanting to get rid of my breasts because I was raped at 14. I was really scared to talk about that. And the reality is that has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it because if I think about me, my entire life, this was my earliest memories are, you know, at six years old, I, I, I know what I, you know, the tomboy, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so it took me, well, it took me time because I wanted her um, not approval, not approval, but I wanted her acceptance. Mm-hmm. It was really important. And that, that, that's what I'm hearing. Like y- you went through all of this exploration, um, searching, digging, finding support. And I'm hearing that you got to a point that you were accepting it. Like, ah, that's what it is. This, this term non-binary mm-hmm. and the breasts, your breasts are the, the, the um, physical part of your body that you didn't want. Mm-hmm. And you were coming to terms with what it would look like to have this, you know, I'm doing air quotes, top surgery and what that's about, mm-hmm. right? And, and navigating yourself through the medical system because there's no real definition of what that is and how to go about it. Right. Right. So you you get to a point that you have complete now um, acceptance of yourself and you're going through this process with your wife 
And I, and I have to say, because I know you so, say, I saw the patience and the wisdom and the respect and love that you showed in that, in that relationship. And I, I find that um, when we're searching and we're doing the inner work and we come to terms with something, it takes that, you know, it takes us however long it's going to take us. And you had the patience to say, okay, this might take a while with my wife. Yeah. Right? How did you navigate that? Like, how, how did you, um, how can you share if someone's listening and they're in something, an inner relationship like that? Um, because you you want to you want to shout it on a rooftop, right? but that's just not how it works. Right, you have to Im- embody it. Right, and and that's live it. Right. right, and and that's a thing. I'm I'm married, and and it's for sickness and health, and you know, and for better and for worse. And so, I was not even. It never even came to mind that um, I'm doing this surgery, and you're either on with me or you're not you know, because then that means you're either with me or you're against me. And I know that this was a process that she had to go through as well as to educate herself and to really get into this mindset of, are you sure? Is this really going to make a difference for you? She had to go through her own internal journey. And I introduced her to to a Facebook group for partners of, of um, non-binary and it didn't bode well because she said the people in her group would say, you know, that how they're not in a relationship anymore, how they couldn't um, handle mm. it. And then people in my group, Facebook group, which were top surgery recipients, would say, well, if she can't stand by you, then you need to leave because this is life and death for you. And I, I didn't fit in that category either because it wasn't life or death for me in the sense that if I don't have this, I'm going to kill myself tomorrow because that's not what my journey was. I'm an educator and I know that it's my job to educate um, if somebody doesn't understand whether it's the topic I teach or myself. My job is to educate you in the best way possible and not to shame you if you don't get it. I would never do that to a student. So I treated my wife in that regard. I would not shame her if she doesn't understand it. Did I fight for my rights? Absolutely. Did I get vocal sometimes? Absolutely. But behind it was always wanting to wait for her Hmm. um, um, ability to be there with me on this journey. Tell, Tell me about that moment. So... Um, we started working with a couple's coach just for this specific issue. It's of course that we're still in coaching and now it's, you know, different things, but back then it was for this specific issue because, um, my wife is a therapist. And so she has friends who are therapists and one of her friends said, Hey, here's this coach that I think could really help both of you, um, talk about this. And what that did for me is it gave me, it gave us a neutral person that could see both sides, her side and my side. And she became an ally for me with my wife in the sense that she too never shamed me or told me, oh, you shouldn't do this, any of that. She supported me entirely and was able, you know, I, I think of it as we're both on three points here and she's at the tip and she was able to take what I said and bring it to my wife in a palatable 
um, chunks that made sense to her. And then we would just pause. And then she could come to her understanding. I continue to do my research, my work, my support group, and right. all of those things. And then I would just bring her a little bit more information as I got it, or we would talk about it in our sessions. And eventually, one day, it was um, within the year, um, but it was in 2021. So I really started this October of 2019 when I was I, um, diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And, and my exploration went all through the pandemic. And then in um, about uh, the beginning of 2021, um, I came home from the gym one day and, and I don't know, she, she, she talked to somebody or it just clicked, but she understood it just all of a sudden it hit her that my, my gender express, my physical gender expression is keeping me down. I'm not able to be, um, spread my wings and give the world my, everything in its entirety because there's an element that's keeping me literally weighted down. Um, and I came, yeah, home, we didn't, yeah. we didn't hit on, no, go ahead. You came. Yeah. Home. So yeah, I came home from the gym one morning and, uh, and she just said to me, I get it now. I get it. I get that, that you hate yourself every time you see yourself. I get it. And if, if the, the, the element that's going to make that better for you is to have this top surgery, then I support you. And that's all I needed to hear was to start. Then now I can start calling and making those appointments, you know, to, to make that happen. Yeah. I don't, what a, what a wonderful day for you. <laughs> what, what a celebration for you. I could only imagine um, because earlier you you would express that you just felt shame all the time, like when you would work out, how, how you would feel in your body. Yeah. yeah. So if I was jumping rope, for instance, and I would feel, you know, yeah. my chest, um, it I it would get in my head to the point where it would make me angry. Or if I was um, lifting up the barbell to do a specific movement, and and you know the coach always says keep it close to your body, and if it would brush up against my my chest, I, I would, every time I would slam that bar down as hard as I could and walk away and I would be angry. So these, this space where I'm supposed to feel, um, good because I'm working out and I love it. And it's so much fun started to become these, the, it, it just, it, it, you know, I would get, I would get, um, agitated. I would get, um, it would just get provoked. Um, when I wasn't least expecting yeah. it and, and it would just set me up or getting out of the shower, getting out of the shower. There's a mirror every day. I'd get out of the shower. I'd see my chest and right away it'd be like um, self doubt talk to myself and disgusting language to myself. And if that, now I'm putting that, I'm starting my day with that in my conscience. And, um, and of course I'm going to look for that all day long ways to reinforce that disgust. You know, it just, it just speaks to even, um, uh, topics of weight loss. You know, people want to lose weight and they think they have to do this. It's never about the weight. It's what's what's happening between your ears. You know, it's the shame. It's the um, negative self-talk. It's the um, lack of respect for self. It's, it's always something that's happening internally. And how beautiful that you finally put were able to put language to it, mm-hmm. um, found a support group, identified that it was your breasts, know that you now have a, a, a procedure that you can explore 
to have them removed. And now you have acceptance from your, your loving wife and you're, you're probably super happy. I would only imagine you were, that was a very happy day for you. Yes. But, and that, um, that was the internal then, work, but now comes the external work, which is making those phone yeah. calls. And yeah. You know, to your, so to let's, your, let's touch yeah. on that a little. Yeah. So, you know, my, my primary um, caregiver was uh, a doctor that I had had for, you know, multiple couple of decades. And, uh, and I knew, oh my God, I have to have this conversation with him. He's, uh, you know, just this British man. Um, I don't know how I'm going to have this talk with him here. I have to come out again. And it's always a difficult conversation to have. So I was expressing that in my support group and somebody in the support group said, oh, there's this new doctor to Kaiser who's, who's an ally. And um, a lot of people, a lot of us have used her. Here's her name. And so, and so they walked me through um, because the support group was through Kaiser. So they walked me through switching my primary from who I had to this new doctor. And as soon as I did that, all I did is during the pandemic. So there's no going into the hospital or making an appointment. It's everything's by email. I send her an email. Um, she consults with my therapist and then they said, okay, pick your surgeon and then we'll give you the referral. And then, um, I brought it back again in my support group my gym mates and um, somebody in the support group had used a specific surgeon and said, here, I want you to look at this surgeon. So all of that was almost done for me as, as soon as I opened mm-hmm. my mouth. And so now I meet this surgeon and I have my first consult. It's during the pandemic. So my wife can't even come in with me. She's in the car. We're FaceTiming. It was kind of awkward. Um, I had to show my chest, but now it's so interesting because now when I took my shirt off and I'm bare chested to this doctor, I didn't care because I knew these things are temporary. I didn't know if it was three months, six months, one month, but I knew it was happening. And this is my road to get that started. Do all you want, poke all you want, prod Freedom. all you want, whatever. Freedom. Yeah. I mean, he had me bending over and all this stuff to take measurements and the, to do all this stuff. And I was like, have at it, have at it. Whereas before right. it, that wouldn't have been that easy, but knowing I had something to look forward to made that yeah. acceptable, you know? So, yeah, that's so beautiful. Such a sense of freedom, yeah, it, you know? And um, so you had the surgery in July of 2021 mm-hmm. and um how do you feel today? What, did, what kind of what a difference? You know, this is this is this is a a sincere topic of wellness because you, what you expressed is that your whole and you 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 there was a feeling of not feeling complete or not feeling in alignment with yourself, not knowing what that was, and you discovered that you just were ashamed to have breasts and what that how that identified you. You had them, you went through the process of seeing what it takes to have them removed and all that, that education, and now they're removed. And what, what do you feel today? What, what, what is, how, how do you express it? Happy, joyous, and free, literally. Um, I now, this is, so this is the same thing that happened when I, when I uh, was being taught how to stop cutting because that became an addiction. The way I 
learned to stay stopped from cutting was to start taking care of the wounds. My sponsor at the time um, was a reformed cutter and, and she was the only one that could help me. And she said, you're going to cut. That's fine. But you're going to do peroxide. You're going to do bandages. You're going to give that self-care when you're done. Can you do that? I'd say, okay. And so what that ended up doing was I was taking something negative and turning it into, into love because now I'm um, self-soothing what I just did to myself. That self-soothing started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. I no longer mm-hmm. had the desire or the need to do something to myself because the self-soothing is now, I know how to do that. I know what that looks like. So, so what, what was the, the, the self-care then so, for the Yeah, after the, the surgery, the self-care yeah. is huge. There, you, you have to, like, I couldn't go to the gym for three months. There are certain things you can't do, and I was willing to do it all. Um, and then the self-care, um, nipple care is enormous because a lot, there's a huge percentage because they, they remove your nipples and then they re- reattach them someplace different because the, with, with the, instead of them being in the middle, now they're off to the side. So that care is really important because they could fall off. And a lot of people that would happen. So your self-care is critical. Scar treatment, critical. How are you going to do that? Well, how do you do that? You have to use your hands on your own body. So where this space before was negative, shameful, embarrassed, disgusting, right? All those negatives. It is now beautiful. It is now this, if this, I was self-soothing something that is my new me and I'm waking up, you know, after I shower, I had to shampoo with the, uh, I mean, wash with this special soap, um, massage, who's, I, you know, lift your arm, massage aside. Like I got to do this every single day. So just like how I stopped cutting, I now stopped this, um, negative talk here and and replaced it with this loving action so now i'm starting my day that way and what that has done because i didn't realize i i'm i, I want to be such a spiritual person and look at the connections the universe brings me right i never realized how starting your day off hating what you see brings that hatred in everything you do. So even though here I am trying to be this, go on the spiritual journey, it still has this hatred that's filtering in or that internal dialogue of disgust and, you know, all of that filtering in. So I could never, that you be, never identified, never identified. So how can I be complete and whole? How post-surgery I am complete and whole. I'm not even, I don't even have that same career. So I am complete and whole in the sense that I am discovering how I present myself in the world with confidence. When I dress now, I can put on a button down shirt that I used to not want to wear because of the way it would accentuate. So I would always wear a blazer over it or a jacket. I can now put on that same button down shirt and just love it for every button that I'm doing. And then look at myself and think, oh my God, this is beautiful. And of course, if that's how I feel getting dressed, that's how I'm going to present myself in the world. That's, and and that's what it's done for yeah, me. Yeah, it's a ripple effect. Yeah. It's a ripple effect. That's so beautiful, uh, Saya. And um, 
thank you for your time and thank you for sharing all of those things. It is a couple of things I, I still also want to bring to light is that you documented this process to support people. You're an educator. So um, I know that you have certain resources available to those. You know, hit on that just for a moment. And, uh, and then I have a couple more questions and we'll just wrap it up. Um, I just I just have so much respect for you, Saya. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so because uh, when I, after I got Beth's um, acceptance to have my wife, to have the surgery and that she was going to be there with me for the surgery, we had that discussion about um, family um, and having discussions with, with family members. And um, some of her family, very supportive of me. Um, others, um, a little bit on the conservative side. So I haven't had a talk with them. There's no need for it. But those that I did mm-hmm. want to know my journey, um, I what I did is I made a YouTube. It's a, it's a private YouTube channel, and I documented the week before surgery and then the 30 days following the surgery. Um, every single day I made, whether it's a three-minute clip to up to a 10-minute clip, every single day for about 36, 37 days. So I talked about my fears. I talked about um, the process. And then the morning of my surgery, I did, a, I did a session. And then the morning after my surgery, I did another session. And then I talked about the recovery and, and what's happening to me. And so whenever somebody wanted to know how I'm doing, I would just send them the link and say, here, here here's my journey. And, and this way you can see for yourself. So that's what I did. So those listening, um, those resources are still available. Mm-hmm. They are, they are private. And, um, I just, I, I believe when someone comes with a sincere, loving heart and intention, um, that's, those are the people that we want to impart this knowledge onto. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, uh, we're all coming out of this pandemic and life is starting to, um, kind of whatever normal is, but a sense of um, uh, mixing and um, socializing again. And now you identify your gender identity or gender um, pronoun is uh, they, she, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes. I, I identify okay. as non-binary and the, with the pronouns. Okay. Yeah. So say you're now um, identified or your pronoun is uh, they, they, she. And what is that? And non-binary, they, they, she. So the non. How is that defined? If I was born male, I would be they, he. Because I was born female, that's where the she comes in. Because I'm still going to be addressed as she, right, um, and her, and I'm fine with that. Um, I'm fine with the neutral pronoun is they, them as well. Although it gets a bit confusing, I'm fine with that. Um, what what I don't like is being addressed as a as a, in that in those gender identities as lady, woman, um, girl, miss, ma'am. Those things I I I do not they they rub me the wrong way. But I don't always okay. say something. I will to my students, but I don't always to like if someone's on the phone and they call me Miss Rokia in a conversation, I won't correct them unless. I have a relationship with them. So, so let me ask you, this is also a re-education for the masses. Um, how should I respond? Like I, I'm, I'm still, sometimes I, even with you, Saya, I, I have to watch myself. 
How does one respond when one misgenders someone? Right. What should people do? What people should do is not do anything. Um, if you misgender somebody and you catch it, then you can just move on and do it the the correct way the next time or right even right away. So if if you accidentally, uh, if if I go by they them strictly they them, mm. and you are introducing me to somebody and you so you say so she's a teacher at, I won't say anything. You might remember. Uh, oh God. And if you, if you stop and say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Now, now you've put me on the spot of having to tell you, oh, it's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Mm. So instead of that, it's just move, move on. Oh, okay. So I'm going to do it again, but I'm going to change it. That's the best way. Sure. Com- it's a complete self-awareness. It's a self-awareness. And I'm here to educate. Absolutely. Yeah. I just don't want to be put on the spot. You know, and, and that's, that's what awesome. that does. Thank, thank yeah. you. Thank you. So um, for someone listening, is there something that you'd like to share? Anything that you, if someone is um, going through an identity crisis or not knowing where to turn, um, how would you direct them? Just your, your last thoughts of how you, what, what, what would you like to share? I, we have to understand that not everybody has medical insurance. So there might be people you can't just say, well, go to therapy, right? That may not be a possibility for somebody. So the best, the best course of action is find a, find a support group. Facebook has many. Facebook has support group for the entire alphabet of the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. Facebook will have a support group. Find a support group because there and find the ones that are closed meaning you have to you answer a series of questions and they allow you to come in and that it's moderated because if you find something that's not moderated that brings in the opportunity for trolls and people to attack when a facebook group is moderated it is it that kind of um the, that kind of language is not tolerated so you feel right. safe and in these spaces i spent days nights of just hours looking at at these at pictures and asking questions and reading people's responses and suggestions and from that you learn the language you learn because facebook is nationwide it's worldwide but it's really nationwide so it's for if somebody's in florida and the don't say gay gay bill is freaking them out and the transgender care is being under attack you, you get on the facebook group find a Facebook group to start talking about this stuff with, because that's where you're going to get the information that's going to help pull you along. And it, it helped me and tremendously. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Obviously you're, you're exemplary of, of uh, a success story, you know, going through this and, and continuing your exploration. Um, how does someone find you? So I'm on Instagram. Uh, and my how do, yeah how does someone how does someone find you on Instagram? So Instagram, I'm I'm op- I'm not it's it's public. Um, so Sajak S E I J A C K forty nine is my Instagram Sajak forty nine, and those are that's a combination of both my birth name Saya and my um, preferred name Jack. Um, and I don't mean preferred name in that you have to call me Jack. Um, people at my gym call me Jack. But because my name is a unique name and it's spelled even more uniquely, 
it's easy. I'll just tell people my name is Saya, but you can also call me Jack. I answer to both. So Sayjack49 is I'm on Instagram. Is your Public. great, and I'll have I'll have your uh, your your Instagram link um, on on this profile as well. Okay. And say, Jack, this is the most important question of our time together. What is your favorite dessert? <laughs> Rocky Road ice cream. <laughs> Rocky Road. And how do you equate Rocky Road ice cream to wellness? Uh, one marshmallow at a time. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> thank you so much for your i love it i love it and you know the the, the chewy nuts in there as well yeah. um thank you so much for your time say you're a gift your um your journey is remarkable and uh, you're just a a beacon of light for those that are that are going through the same thing and i i just can't wait to post this and share it with the world so um thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of dessert with d and uh, let's celebrate pride 2022 this month and congratulations i understand you're going to be on a, a pride float on july 10th I'm be driving it in long beach we're we're you're going to be driving it, which is an say say Jack's anniversary, anniversary to to their top surgery. Yeah. So, congratulations to all of it, Saya. Yeah. Thank you uh, again, and uh, thank you, listeners, uh, wherever you're tuning in, whatever device you're tuning in, day, night, evening. Thank you for uh, being on with us, and I look forward to many more discussions to come. Thank you. Be well. Bye bye. Let's just take a big, long, deep breath. I realize we covered a lot of topics in that discussion, and uh, it may have sparked some emotion, or it may have sparked some, you know, maybe some deep um, feelings that were not even known to you. And um, I'd like to just, I want to assure you that you're not alone. Um, So with that, I'd like to leave some resources available uh, for you listener to explore if you need to, or if you're looking for someone just to talk to. Um, The first resource I'd like to uh, share is the LGBTQ Center in Long Beach, which um, advances equality for LGBTQ people through um, culturally responsive advocacy, education, programs, and services. Um, Their direct number is uh, area code 562-434-4455. And they can be reached at centerlb.org. The second resource I'd like to leave is for the uh, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Again, that's suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Their telephone number is uh, 1-800-273-8255. And... um, the, the third resource I'd like to leave is for, um, it's a national um, sexual assault. And the organization is called RAIN.org. So they can be reached at R-A-I-N-N.org, which stands for Rape, Abuse, Incest, National, uh, uh, national, national um, Network. And again, the, the uh, URL is RAIN, R-A-I-N-N.org. And their telephone number is 1-800-656-4673, 1-800-656-HOPE, which is 4673. You are not alone. 
there is a network of people to support you, whether you're going through a difficult personal time exploring sexuality or gender identity or anything that might be coming up for you. Um, just know that you are not alone. There's people readily available for you, and I hope that you reach out if you need to. Thank you again for listening. I look forward to being your host on future episodes of Dessert with D. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. God bless. Thank you for listening. And if you found value in this episode and know of someone who deserves to hear this story, can you please pass this on for me? It is my life's mission to touch as many lives as possible. And it would mean so much if you could take a few seconds, share this message, leave a five-star review to help me enrich lives through interaction. Thank you. And until next time, with light and love, be well. Be well.